today. I want to get you encouraged and fired up and, and built up. And uh, right at the start, I want to tell you, make sure you get your money's worth out of crisis. Never, ever, ever waste a crisis. Make sure you get your money's worth out. Uh, and I got some great news from the Word of God to talk to you about, and about crisis today. Let me just kick off with a cracking one-liner. Your crisis is a setup. Your crisis is a Turn to somebody and go, your crisis is a setup. God has set you up in a crisis. And uh, I'm going to get us to, by the end of today, hopefully we can see crisis in a whole new way. Like the young boy who came home. And uh, you young guys, you know what it's like with report cards. I ha- I'm not proud of the fact I never brought one home. Most of them ended up in Town Hall Loch. And uh, there's certain things, certain things, sometimes it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. And so, you know, but, but, but they come home at 15 years of age with his report card. And uh, all he wanted to do was sing and play guitar. That's all he wanted to do. His dad had in mind that he was going to be an accountant. And so you can imagine what he was doing in school. He comes home with a report card. His dad goes so ballistic, so crazy. This kid just wants to sing songs and play guitar. He's he got to be an accountant. And he's so angry. He so goes so crazy at him. This 15-year-old boy didn't know he's banging in the middle of a crisis. His dad went so nuts. That night, his father died. That boy's name was Don McLean, who just sang you that song. Don McLean said this, if it wasn't for that crisis, he'd never sung that song that became a worldwide hit one month before you and I got married, beautiful one. In June of 19, uh, 1970, yeah, 19, you know, in the year of baby snatching, I snatched this 18-year-old kid, and uh, she gets upset because she claims she was 19. We got married in July. You weren't 19 until uh, I was a baby, right? Okay. Anyway, so Don McLean said this, if if the crisis had never happened, he'd never have wrote that song, which became a worldwide hit in June of 1971. Because he would never have wanted to get his dad so upset again. He would never have been a musician. He'd been an accountant. But from that crisis came a song that has meant a lot to so many people around the world. Because the words of the song are simply fantastic. Because the song is about another young man that was in a crisis. Crisis is designed to be a new beginning for you and never an end. Crisis is designed to be a new beginning for you and never an end. We're going we're to look at a kid who never, who never knew a moment of life without crisis. He was born into one. In John 9, 1, let's kick it off with the first example of a kid, a boy, another boy in crisis. Thanks for the song, David. Stephen, you did great. Get on. As, he, Jesus, as, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. 
Now, watch out for the question coming up. It's the craziest question in the Bible, I believe. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <laughs> How could you sin? You've not even been born yet. That's the most stupid question. Who sinned, his parents or the man himself, that he was born blind? Hey, you know. <laughs> neither, the answer, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of the glory of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, making some mud with saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word's... So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg in the street corner? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted he was the man. How then, when your eyes were opened, they asked, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. Imagine telling your pals at work that story on a Monday morning. Eh? The man called Jesus made some mud. He told me to go and wash the Siloam. So I went and washed, then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. He said, imagine if in the next 20 seconds you go blind. And everybody is left to go to the cafe. You've gone blind for the first time in your life. And you think, okay, there's a gap in the middle of the chairs there somewhere. How do I get there? Then how far do I get back before I negotiate rights? Then I get through these doors and I wave and somehow get to my car. Even once I get to my car, what am I going to do? You're talking about a crisis like no other crisis for a child to be born into. The first human reaction in a crisis is to blame somebody. <laughs> you know, when there's no parking space, when, when you know, that thing don't work out or that, that bank thing or that job thing, What's the first thing? And so the first thing, the first thing, the first response in this crisis was, whose fault is that? Who can we blame? Did he sin? Or was it his parents? Here's the thing. If you blame your parents for your condition, then you'll expect your parents to fix it. That's too much dependency to give to any one human being. Now, here's the thing. Don't you just love it when Jesus said, none of them sinned. This crisis happened for a brilliant reason. Imagine if you saw every crisis in your life 
the same way. That there's a brilliant reason, and like the blind man, you've been set up. He said, this happened so that God could get some glory out of it. You were born and made in God's image to reflect His glory. Every single crisis is a gift from heaven to give you the opportunity to reveal His glory. Imagine every single crisis you go through, you're on a mission, so God gets some glory for it. Never waste a crisis. Make sure that somehow God gets His glory for it, because that is the reason He was set up. How many people in this room may be willing to admit, if you think about it, there might be two or three moments in your life where you've been set up. Come on, raise your hand if you... Maybe, maybe, maybe there's been two or three moments, not that God caused the thing, but He allowed the thing. He didn't cause a thing, but He allowed the thing. You know, Christians, what we do when a storm comes, we rebuke the devil. When a crisis comes, we look, what did we do wrong? We condemn ourselves. But when Joseph was told, there's a seven-year crisis coming, tell Pharaoh, there's a seven-year crisis coming. He didn't say, it's from the devil. He didn't say, get that thing to go away. He didn't say any of that. He basically instructed Joseph to get equipped for the crisis that's coming so that God gets amazing glory in the crisis. Whew. Every single crisis in your life is a setup. It's an opportunity to let the world see your Jesus is real. He's alive. He's alive in you. And whether he comes through or not, you're going to prove him. You're going to love him. You're going to shine for him. You're going to declare his praises. He formed us this way. And God is after his glory. And he is determined to get his glory from every crisis we go through. Now, no crisis in your life or mine is a surprise to Jesus. In fact, he, let, he tried to let us know they were coming. So we don't panic. We don't, you know, get all messed up and screwed up. In John 16, 33, he says, I've told you these things. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. He's, he's like, hey, don't, don't pray no trouble comes. He didn't say cast out the devil when, when you see him coming. And that's right in the right circumstance. He didn't say pray that you can avoid and take the path of least resistance. He's letting us know crisis is on its way. It may be economic crisis, ISIS crisis, or some other crisis in a family situation, but God wants us to know 
that he will allow numerous opportunities for us to give him awesome glory and prove him in the midst of a crisis. What if God equipped you and me? Because this is what he said to Joseph. Hey, you got seven years to get your act together. You got seven years to store up the goods and get the barns filled. You got seven years to get ready for the storm coming. And when he gave the story about the house that was built on the rock and the sand, he was saying, the storm's coming. The storm's coming. Both get the storm. Both get the crisis. One reveals his glory because he built on the right foundations. The other one collapses. I just want to tell you quickly about a third young man who went through a major, major crisis in his life. A little boy, he grew up with a great dream. He wanted to be like his dad. He wanted to be a great pastor. And in 1874, he failed the biblical exams. He failed the seminary test to become a pastor. So they created another job for him. For him, it was a crisis. That's all he ever wanted to be. They told him, you can be a missionary instead. Don't give the show away, but is anybody beginning to guess who I'm talking about here? See, if at any point you think, I think you know who you're talking about, put your hand up. You're very famous guy. So he goes off to be a missionary to the coal miners. 1874, in Brussels. He saw how hungry, in the midst of this crisis, he could have shrunk back. He could have done a runner. But he decided God was going to get his glory, regardless of his crisis and disappointment. So when he goes to the miners in Brussels, he sees their poor miners. He saw that he had nice clothes and a nice salad and a nice bed, and he knew the example of Christ is to love the needy. So he cut up his bedding for bandages. He gave up his bedclothes away, and he used his salary for the poor. When he showed up to his church on a Sunday, disheveled and hungry, the congregation gave him money for better clothes. And they told him to study preaching more. He took his money and he bought food for the miners and he slept on hay. And for that, he was fired. He went into a little bit of depression and he ended up in asylum and decided to do a little bit of painting. He only sold one single piece of art. You may want to put the night slide up and then people will begin to get an idea who we're talking about. One piece of art he sold all the days he was alive and most of his paintings he did from the midst of his crisis in the asylum. David? Vincent Van Gogh. And we were given the name of the song at the start of this. Vincent. Go back and check out the lyrics. Every single lyrics is about this man's beautiful life story. At 30, 
seven years of age, he was found with one bullet in him. Lived a little bit longer, but he died. Suspected suicide. Battled all his days. Because the Bible says hopes deferred makes a person sick. His hopes were deferred. It wasn't until after he died. He's become one of the most famous, most wonderful impressionist artists upon the earth. When they let him out of the asylum, he cared so much for the poor, he didn't even know how to behave. He took home a pregnant lady who'd been abused, invited her into the house. And his father was so ashamed of him. His father had a stroke. All his life, Vincent van Gogh committed himself to follow Jesus and read the Bible but he couldn't and didn't know what to do when the moment of crisis came. Vincent van Gogh, starry, starry night. Have a look at the picture closely, guys, because it tells us something awesome. If you look at the church there, and look at it very closely, You'll see in the church, there's no lights on. There's no lights on. A crisis is designed for us to dig deep and reflect the light and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what darkness the devil throws at us, let's applaud the Lord Jesus Christ for he is the light. He is the light. He is the light that dwells in you. He is the light that dwells in me. He is the light that's screaming to get out. And now and again, he allows a little bit of darkness because without darkness, light is a waste of time. And so I want us very quickly to realize this, that every deep crisis is an opportunity to make your life extraordinary in every way. How many people would say you've had at least one crisis in your life? Come on. Come on. At least one. Imagine if we saw it differently. Imagine if we didn't just assume the devil was in control and he causes everything. The devil has no power unless God allows him. And God allows us to be set up. Because when you see somebody, when you go to work, and you've got three Mercedes and a million in the bank, and your hair's all shed. You tell people about Jesus, they go, no wonder you can pray Jesus. But when you're in the midst of crisis, the midst of suffering, the midst of loss, the midst of divorce, the midst of bank issues, the midst of depression, the midst of stuff, and in the, against all odds, somehow, some way, you can dig deep enough in your God and reflect his light. The highlight of the 60-odd men that gathered this week and, you know, devoured their five different kinds of bridies, pies, and beans. 
was young man Aaron Leask. Stand up, Aaron. He was our warrior of the month. And, uh, you know, a young man, and you go, and I don't intend to embarrass you or, you know, make you f pretend you're a star or something, but the truth is, you know, I can think of a hundred moments I've looked in his eyes and I could see the illness, but equally I can see the battle and the times he said, I'm doing all right, and I know he's not doing all right because, you know, when you find in a young man a determination to prove God in the midst of, at this point, a lifetime crisis. Nothing inspires your faith, your faith more than a young man or a young woman that reflects his light, reflects his light in the face of crisis. For that, we give glory to the living God. Let's applaud. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. All right, very quickly. We're going to fire through three things. How do you turn your crisis into a great victory? How do you reflect the light in the midst of crisis? How do we see Christ? How do we do that? How do we not get sunk, beat up, and lose it in the crisis? How do we get our money's worth out of crisis? How does God get a glory, glory, glory out of a crisis? How does he do that? Number one. You can turn every crisis into a great victory by viewing it from heaven and not from earth. You can turn every crisis into a great victory if you view it from heaven and not from earth. When you look at things in a human me and a human things, when you look at the news, when you look at, you know, you know if you look at it with earthly eyes, I was getting messages from all over the country on Facebook about this dreadful thing happening on Eurovision Song Contest. This dreadful one that was wearing clothes like curtains. This one, it was a So I had to tell them, no, I'm not watching it. If it's that bad, that bad, that bad. Until one person sent me a little bit of light. Because I'm thinking, what on earth is Australia doing in Europe? What on earth? And one little friend who works with the poor in Birmingham and the prisons, a chaplain there, sent me a little message to say, there's someone from Australia singing a song. And she's singing a song the first time, every time she ever won a competition. She decided, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn this into glory. The very first thing she did was sponsor a compassion child and pour her money and her prayers and energies into it. And when I heard that, I thought, even in the Eurovision, horrendous, horrendous, well, for some people it is, moments, there is a little bit of light coming out of us. Let's give God the glory for that. Brilliant, compassion, right in the middle of the Eurovision. Romans 8. 30. This is what it's like looking from heaven. When you look from earth, what happens is you go blind. You go blind. You cannot see how God is going to come through in that marriage. You cannot see how God's going to come through in that sickness. You cannot see how God's going to come through in that business dream. You cannot see how God's going to come through and answer prayer. Wasn't it wonderful uh, to get that report from the prayer house last week that they stood with David Stevenson and prayed with him and David within a week after. How many interviews have you had, David? 
eight interviews and was the awesome prayer warriors that hold their arms up in prayer in the battle, did battle within a week. This man lands what I think could be a dream job in a week. Correct, David? Give it up. 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 God must get the glory. God wants his glory. And if it means he has to take us to a dark place so that that's the only place we could shine, he's going to take us to that dark place, Gregor. He's going to take us there. Romans 8, 1 puts it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, nothing can separate you from Christ coming through. Nothing can separate you from his victory. Nothing can separate you from reflecting his glory. And here's a whole list of crises. Some of you may never have been in these, but some of them. Shall trouble. Yep, we could say yes to that one. Hardship. Persecution. Famine. Nakedness. Danger. Or the sword. There are a bunch of psychiatrists. A bunch of, uh, what do you call them, crises for you. There's a bunch. How many can you tick off in that list? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword. There's a little boy. A little boy I used to hide on Saturday mornings in deep depression, petrified to open the Dunfermline Press. Petrified. Because I had a certain brother who's now passed away who robbed every single shop Railway Club Bank Postivus from the top of Town Hill all the way to the cross in the Euro and Dunfermline. He robbed every single one, every one, on a regular basis. And on top of all of that, he did some very embarrassing things that you couldn't leave your house and look any neighbor in the eye. And that must have been two years of waking up, opening that press in terror. Because of the number of times you'd open it and there was your family name, which at that time was carved in the prison cells here in the Dunfermline, Senator Dunfermline. He was carved there. And for two years, my target at nine years of age was to grow my hair as long as I could so I could hide behind it and only have a gap here. I was expelled for two weeks my very first month at Queen Anne School because my hair was too long. They said, you're going to cut it. And I said, you don't understand, I'm Samson. I'm telling you, shame, shame. When the neighbors are saying your brother's a pedophile, when the neighbors are saying your brother is doing horrendous things in public, when, and you're opening the press and it's going boom, 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 boom. Horrendous stuff for two years. Looking back on it, would I change anything? Would I heck? Would I heck? And I'll tell you why. It's a setup. You know you've been in a crisis when your best friend's talking about you. You know you've been in a crisis when your neighbor don't give you a pound of sugar no more. You know you're in a crisis where people are, you, you don't know who's talking about you. And you're the youngest kid in the country to have paranoia. You know you're in a crisis when you're petrified to get enough paper and, and sweating through every line of the newspaper and celebrating because this one week we're not in the paper. You've been there. 
You've been there when you've been too ashamed to look at some people. You've been there when you're too ashamed of that thing you did. You're, you've been there where you're too ashamed because they found out who you slept with. You've been there where you're petrified. Oh, oh, if that skeleton comes out the cupboard and people start, people know. The devil will tell you a thousand times, oh, you may look holy, you may look a nice little Christian, but what if people found out? What, what if they found out that thought or this thing or that thing? What have they found? But I'm telling you all, God knows the crisis we need to shape us for what he has in store for us. And your calling and your anointing and your success and ministry and favor is aligned to the level of the cross you're willing to walk through. And I don't know about you, but if it means I can, God would use me to win one soul here or anywhere on the earth, I would walk through every ounce of that shame again to let people know that you could come to the cross, the place, and you could leave all your shame there and one day stand up in the very place where you were scared to, to show face and preach and reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. No shame. No shame. The Bible says in Christ there is no condemnation. And to be able to walk the streets today is a free man. To walk, for you and I to walk anywhere or go anywhere as a free person, your shame was all taken care of at the cross. As it is written, we face death all day long. We're considered like sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that death, life, angels, demons, nothing present or in your past or any powers, no height, no depth, nothing can take away the love of Jesus from you. And I'm going to stretch it and say, nothing can take away your opportunity to let the world know how good your God is and reflect his light and in his glory. And when they see you without a penny left, when they see your name in the papers, your family name for shameful things, when they see you divorced and rejected and kicked to the one side, when they see you, you know, struggling with those tablets, when they see you like this, and yet in the midst of that, you have enough in you of Jesus to go, do you know what? My God is great, and he will allow nothing to separate me from that victory. We can applaud the Lord Jesus Christ once more too quickly. See things, see things. When you see them from the earth up, you just see every mountain as impossible. When you see it from heaven down and tune into how God sees it, then you know nothing, absolutely nothing is going to rob you. Second one, you can turn your crisis into a great victory by waiting on the Holy Spirit. This is the day of Pentecost. How many people remember this Pentecost Sunday? Come on. A few of you remember Pentecost Sunday, Acts 2. You remember the story well. We call it the day of Pentecost. Actually, sometimes I think we should call it the day of crisis because it, it ended up the day of Pentecost. It didn't, certainly didn't start off the day of Pentecost. You had a bunch of guys in fear and trembling in a room praying. And the worst moment of their life, when your best friend, you're here, your savior, 
you know, when the game is over, he's no longer there leading. And, and, you know, you could call this the day of crisis, of all crisis. He was a mother, like the mother of crisis. Okay, he promised the counselor would come. But, hey, I've checked that last bus. He wasn't on it. I've checked my emails. There's none come in. I've checked my texts, my WhatsApp, my WhatsApp, and every other app. And there's not, there's, not a, there's not a cheap, there's not a sign of him. There's not a smell. Aye, but he promised. Aye, right, says Thomas. He promised. But on the day of Pentecost, they had enough in them to believe that every crisis is an opportunity for the glory of God to show up and be revealed. They waited long enough till the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell. And he began to speak in tongues. It seemed like tongues of fire. Oh, my word. I want you to celebrate. I'm encouraging you to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with fresh fire today and every day of the week and stay on fire against all odds. But remember this. It wasn't a weird revival holy meeting. It wasn't, you know, how many people have heard about the Azusa revival meeting when it was in America four weeks ago? 100,000 people bought tickets, at least maybe 80,000 show up. They spent the whole day in prayer and calling for a revival. Absolutely fantastic. I honor and bless everybody that seeks God and does everything, but I've never known anybody able to manufacture or set the time for a revival because God works in the unexpected. And I'm telling you now, I, I, I would encourage them. I'm, I loved it. I followed a lot of it, and I'm for it, and I believe for it, and I'm, I'm, I'm up for whatever way God comes. But I'm telling you where I see God moving right now. I tell you where I see God moving, and it's not so much in stadiums. It's not so much in the big thing. It's you and me getting up and proving God and revealing his glory in the marketplace with your neighbors and in the streets and in the food banks and the very daily work in schools and colleges and banks by revealing God's glory in the marketplace where you are that's where I see the Holy Spirit moving in these days let's applaud the Lord Jesus for that guys when the day of Pentecost came they were all in one place and suddenly like the sound of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole place where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire Oh my word, and all of them, all of them, all of them, all of them. Turn to the person next to you and say, and that includes you, by the way. All of them, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, you could turn any crisis into a massive victory by taking time to simply Say, come, Holy Spirit, each day. Begin to worship Him. Ask Him to give you a fresh touch of purity and holiness and rid us of all sin, rid of us of anything that would cause the dove to live and invite the Holy Spirit fire to fill you afresh. Last point. You can turn any crisis into a great victory by aligning yourself to a greater cause. Aligning yourself to a bigger idea than the crisis. Aligning yourself to a bigger mission than the 
by throwing yourself wholeheartedly. Joseph went through crisis after crisis after crisis, and finally, boom, he pulls a one-armed bandit and all the five apples line up. He has won what some people would say the lottery. He lands the top job in the house. He's the king of the castle. He's running the show. And then before you know it, boom, he thinks... He thinks the rejection of the brothers and this, this, but the mother of crisis has still not showed up yet. The mother of crisis comes when you're at the top of the mountain. It doesn't come in the valley. The, mom, the, 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 the mother of crisis comes when you think, woof, I've arrived. This is the business. And we ease off the prayer pedal. We ease off leaning on God. We ease off trusting in him. That's the moment the mother shows up. And the mother of all crisis shows up. And he's falsely accused and heaved into, back into the jail. Back into the prison. He gives us an awesome secret of what to do in a crisis. In that prison, he aligned himself with something much greater much greater than the crisis. He aligned himself with the cause. David York, stand up for a moment, please. You and your family have come to this nation, and you've been a tremendous blessing, crossing all kinds of cultural barriers, and you know know what rejection feels like. You know what hassle feels like. You know what crisis feels like, but through it all, you've pressed through. And I want to encourage you this day, there's a higher idea that the Lord hasn't revealed it to you yet, but he's going to reveal it to you because he brought you to this country to reveal his glory through you and through your family and he's calling you now. You know, you could be tempted like we're all tempted. We're all tempted because the greatest temptation when crisis show up is to withdraw. Just shrink a little bit. Just dial down about. Just close the curtains. Just grow your hair long and hide behind it. Just read the, the press in private so no one will see you. That, you know, that the devil's strategy is to get us to shrink back or just dial down. But the secret in a crisis is to dial up. To dial up. Never, ever, ever give glory. When you dial down, you give glory to the devil because he goes, yeah, beauty, that is my mission. But every crisis is designed to get us to dial up. And David, the Lord is going to reveal to you in the next month a higher calling, a higher purpose. And he's saying, like Joseph, throw yourself wholeheartedly into a cause that's a million times bigger than the crisis. Thank you, David. And there's no greater, there's no greater cause than to throw yourself headlong into somebody else's crisis. What's the greatest crisis a human being knows today? The greatest crisis a human being knows today is to be outside of the knowledge and the love of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest crisis. Because when crisis comes, you have no one to turn to and you have no hope. The greatest crisis is to be lost. And every one of us in this room gets the opportunity 
to align ourselves with a higher cause, a higher idea that God might just use me to shed the light on somebody else in crisis and help somebody else out that situation and do favors. You know, when in Acts 2, it says, in, uh, uh, around about Acts 2, my memory is not as good as it used to be. It said, when the believers came together, they had favor, they had favor with everybody in the city. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought, how do you get favor in a city as a Christian? Have you ever thought, how do you, how do you get favor as a church in a city? I'm going to give you the most brilliant, simple, and powerful explanation I've ever become, come up with. Do favors. Do favors. It's sad. Faith without works. Oh, yeah, we're saved by faith. But faith without favors. 140 people. Was 140 people, Tim, were in here getting bacon rolls? What can, was it bacon rolls? Sausage rolls, bacon rolls, 140 of them were here. And Tim's just quietly and the guys behind here just shining the light with 140 of homeless people and most of you never even heard about it. You guys doing his job? Hey, you can do your job and you can do it with light. And I want to say this. Every single one of you, God, his hand is on your life and he's saying to us this day, fine church, you get favor by doing favors. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what favor you can do for that lost person. I'm so thrilled to bits about the ladies gathering this night. And Elma has been so determined, so determined that bang in the middle, she's putting us guys to the determined that in the midst of this mission for ladies is favors. Favors that we're going to gather food and needy items for the food bank. I just think that's purple cow to have favors at the center of every single thing we do. A purple cow idea is just an idea that is remarkable. And here's the thing we get the opportunity to be involved in the greatest mission on the earth, that is to do favors for our city to see our city completely transformed. Some of you may think, well, you know, that's all good. But I'm telling you, I'm so beat up right now, I'm as good as dead. And my city, my neighbors, they're, they're so beat up, they're as good as dead. I tell you what, even if it's dead, and if, even if you feel like you're dead, check out this little clip, it's coming out. Let's kill the house lights. Kill the house lights, guys, and watch this little clip. We're going to finish. And towards the end of the clip, the band can just slip their way up here. And we're going to finish with that great song we sung this morning about heaven coming down. Uh, younger ladies with her. And they're saying, uh, please come, please come, please come over to the hospital. And I'm like, what's going on? And she says, my grandson is, he's drowned. And I looked at some of the, the guys that were with me, another missionary and another elder in the church. And, and, uh, 
So I said, guys, I mean, we were dirty, we were sweaty, we were nasty. I said, guys, let's just go over to the hospital and pray for this, this child. So we go over there, and I don't know if you've ever seen a Hispanic funeral, but uh, there's a lot of screaming. There's a lot of crying. Uh, people are fainting. It's chaotic. And we walk up to this hospital, and this grandmother, she's getting the attention of everybody, and she says, please, please let this man come and, and pray for my grandbaby. He, he's the one who healed my back. Well, the priest came out, and the doctor came out of the Cruz Verde, which is the, the, the Green Cross Hospital. And they said, this man cannot come in. He's not allowed to. Well, then the mother and all the aunts and uncles, they start screaming, please let him in. Let him in to, to pray for this, this child, my baby. And uh, they were banging on the doors and everything. It was, it was chaos. But he had flatlined. And the doctor says, but this man has five seconds. When we move, open this door and we put him in the, the, the ambulance to, to get him out of here, he's got five seconds. So I looked at the other missionary and I looked at uh, one of the elders and I said, guys, I said, let's just pray in the spirit. So we begin to pray in the spirit, looking for that moment that heaven could kiss earth. And they open the door and that little child comes wheeling out on that gurney. And the doctor looked at me and waved while the priest stayed back. And it was that moment, it, just faith was filling my heart. And I looked at that little child and I said, little boy, yo te hablo, I speak to you in el nombre de Jesucristo, in the name of Jesus. Levantate, get up. And that little boy, he sat up on that gurney. And you think about pandemonium before. It was crazy what took place. The priest, he went back into the hospital. They didn't know what to do. The baby's ripping the tubes out of his thing. We didn't know what to do, so we backed off. And it was so wild that night at the crusade. I began to share the testimony how God just kissed this town. And before I could even finish, there was a family in the back. They held up this boy and they said, that was us. That was my son. And nearly every single person in the tent that night gave their life to Jesus Christ. Come on, give it up guys. Let's get a band up. All right guys, let's stand together. That great new song, Lindsay, the elevation one on heaven. It talks about a miracle. I'm gonna tell you something. A boy was dead. I want to ask you, what boy has died inside you? What dream has died inside you? What hope has died inside you? What joy has died inside you? What faith for miracles and love has died inside you? What hope for your marriage, your future? As the band just play very quietly, I'm going to ask you to do something incredible. Could every single person just stand for one more minute? Let's, let's all stand in the Lord's presence. We're going to do a miracle thing. It's Pentecost. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Let's stand like soldiers at our positions and hold our hands out ready to receive a fresh anointing from the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to ask you to do something. That man, that man said that the parents held up their arms like they were holding up their baby. They held up their arms like they're holding up their baby. Your son's gone off the rails. Your daughter's gone off the rails. Drugs has come into the family. Different things. I want you to hold up your baby right now. It might be your business. 
maybe your fam, finance, maybe your house. But why don't you take hold of your baby and do this, hold it high like the Lion King in faith. Just take your baby, whatever that thing has died inside you, whatever that hope thing has died inside you, whatever thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it the way he did it in Spanish, my worst Spanish you can, I can think of. But in the numero, in the numero de esos, it's the best I could come with. In the numero de esos, in the numero de esos. In the name of Jesus, I speak to that dead child. I speak to that dead dream. I speak to that dead hope. I speak to that dead finance. I speak to that dead depression thing. I speak to that dead marriage. I speak to that dead joy. That dead confidence. That that thing that died in you with the shame. That thing that died in you when neighbors neighbors are speaking about you and looking in your window and said, there's the pervert's house. That thing that died in you and and, and you you, you crossed the line and somebody found out about it and they spread it around the town. That that moment you let your guard down and you don't even know because you're too much drink. You don't even know what happened, but you just know you haven't recovered from that moment. That dead thing right now, hold it up like the Lion King because... In this moment, the Holy Spirit's coming on you. And He's calling life back into that dead hope and that dead dream. The Holy Spirit is electrifying and injecting you on this Pentecost day with new hopes for your son, new hopes for your daughter, new hopes for your family, new hopes for your finance, new hopes for your calling, new hopes for your business, new hopes for your mission, new hopes for your ministry, new hopes for your, for your, for your joy, new hopes for your faith, new hope. The Holy Spirit supernaturally is taking your crisis and He's bringing out of that crisis the most extraordinary new idea, new hope, new life you could ever imagine. New life. Let the Holy Spirit come right now. Let Him fill you. Now speak and sing from the bottom of your hearts like somebody who's just risen from the dead. Like a blind man who's just seen for the first time and you're appreciating God because you were once blind. You didn't even see your sin, but now you see. And every step for a blind man is a victory. Every step is out of this world. Every step is heaven. Every step is great. Every step is joy for a blind man. Remind yourself you are blind. So every step you take from this moment on is a step of explosive thankfulness and victory to the living God. Let's applaud the Lord God. Come on, loud. Applaud. Applaud. Applaud.